Ephesians chapter 6, please. And I want you to look here uh, at something. I want you to start, please, in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. What does John chapter 1 say? For the word, the, the word was with God and before God and all that stuff. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory of the one and only. Remember? So Jesus, when He walked, He was the living Word. Do you understand? He is the Word. He is the Word made flesh, and the Holy Spirit authored the Word. That's why the three agree. The Spirit, the water, and the blood, because, because the, the water represents the Word. Because the Spirit of God authored the Word, but the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus, and Jesus is the Word. And both proceed from the Father. Do you understand? So when we talk about, when you say the word Lord, you could to put the word Word in there, capital W-O-R-D, because the Lord is the Word made flesh. Be strong in the Lord. In other words, be strong in the Word. And in the power of His might. When we talk about the power, what is the power? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the power of the Spirit. So if this verse is really saying this, we call ourselves a word and spirit church, but this is a word and spirit verse. Be strong in the word and in the power of the Holy Ghost. What's he saying? Be word and spirit. Everything in your life comes back to that flow of word and spirit. You have to have the word. You can never reject the word. You can never lighten up on the word. You got to meditate on it day and night. Most people don't do that, but it's something we've got to start working toward. Meditating on the word is the source of our strength. Because it gives us revelation. It washes our mind. It helps us to think right. We're, t- we're not talking about being led by the Spirit of the Word. I might bring some points in about that tonight. But how are you going to, how is the Holy Ghost going to lead you if your thought process is so messed up with all the other stuff? You have to have it washed with the Word so that He can lead you more effectively. Amen. Because often He'll lead through the Word and by the Word. So be strong in the Word and in the power of the Spirit. This is a Word and Spirit instruction. Notice it says that first. Now I want you to notice the next thing. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now we're not focusing on all that. Jesus taught Dad Hagen in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, when he knelt down and that, you know, the thing disappeared, the, the room, and he saw Jesus, and then that evil spirit came between them and tried to distract him. Then he rebuked the evil spirit and Jesus taught him about demons and unclean spirits and and devils and all that stuff. And I'm not, that's not the purpose of tonight, but I just wanted to say here, I want you to flow with the, I want you to flow with Paul here. Okay. And don't just take these verses like we often do, like you like Ephesians 6, 10. So you got that isolated. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen. But you have no idea what that's connected to. That is not an isolated verse. That verse is connected to a theme. So to help you understand it better, watch the theme. He's telling you, I want you to be a word and spirit person. I want you to be strong in the word and strong in the power. Then the next thing he says is, by the way, you're not wrestling against people. But you're wrestling against devils. Now he's listing categories of devils and hierarchies. And there's a whole other teaching about that, which we don't need to get into because that's not the focus tonight. The point is all of those things listed, all of those hierarchies listed are evil. Okay. Now I want you to notice that he didn't just mention the hierarchies. The first statement he said is for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Most people read verse 11 and all they think of is devils. Because you're focusing on principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness. That's all you see. 
But you need to look at the first statement of the verse to understand the context of the verse. It's not that we're not talking or that we're dismissing those different hierarchies because that's an own study of itself. But just for the sake of simplicity tonight, just categorize it all as devils. It's evil. Our enemy. Put it under the category of enemy. Don't worry about all the categories right now. Just it's our enemy. But I want you to focus on the first verse, the first part of that verse. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against enemies. Forget about the categories of the enemies, just it's enemies. What is Paul saying? If you're strong in the word and you're strong in the spirit, people are going to start bugging you. Are you listening? The devil is going to start working through people to try to hurt you, to try to discourage you, to try to dissuade you, to try to get you off course, to try to make you feel less. Because the first thing he says after you're strong in the word and strong in the Holy Ghost which is a very broad spectrum statement. But the first thing is he said, by the way, you're not against people. Why is he saying that? Because people are going to be against you. And what are we against? The devil. But the devil is going to use flesh and blood. Sometimes he'll come at you direct, but sometimes he'll use people. Sometimes you'll feel the pressure of those demons directly, but other times you'll feel people, you'll see people that all of a sudden, and, and the problem is because they're gu- the devil guises himself working through people. Sometimes you don't recognize it as the devil because you're so focused on the person, you're not recognizing there's something behind influencing the person, but then you get upset with the person, but I'm not wrestling with you. I'm wrestling against evil that's in an, that evil might be influencing you. Are you listening? Now, uh, the ones that he would like to use the most, if he's using a person, and he doesn't always, in the wilderness, he didn't use people, he came at Jesus direct. But as soon as Jesus came out and started preaching, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's anointed me, what did he do? He used people. And listen to me, I'm trying to help you, he used religious people. Because the man is anointed by the Spirit, he is strong in the Word, and in the power of the Holy Ghost, he is God's man, God spoke from heaven, the dove came down, he's baptized, he is the man, and what did the devil do? He attacked him directly, but then as soon as he started doing something for God, as soon as he started going and doing his job and preaching, the devil used people, religious people, who you should be able to trust, because they're spiritual leadership, and he used religious people to attack Jesus. So much that they tried to murder him. And it took the working of miracles for him to get out of that problem. So he will come at you direct and he will come at you through people. Do you understand? He will come at you more frequently directly. That's the first thing we see in Jesus' life. He came at him directly without using people, just that pressure. You have to get skillful with how to handle that. But secondly, he worked through flesh and blood. And you've got to be smart enough to realize that my enemy is not the Pharisee. My enemy, they are being used. My enemy is not the person. My enemy is not my boss. My enemy is not my child. My enemy is not my wife or my husband. Because the devil will use people closest to you if he can. Not, he, does, he can't always do that because the first people closest to you, if they're spiritual, and if they've renewed their mind and they're walking in the spirit, they can't be used. So then he'll go with the next. He goes, he's smart. He'll go down the tiers. Then you'll work with people that maybe aren't as close to you. 
and then unsafe people and then people at your job or your neighbor or whatever. But he will come at you direct, but then he'll also try to come at you through people. And you've got to start realizing that the people aren't the issue, even though everything in you tells you they're the issue because they are yielding to that thing. And most of the time, especially if they're saved or even if, they, if they're not saved, but even if they are saved, they don't even know they're yielding to it. Some time ago, I was dealing with a, a minister who traveled and, he, you know, he had a local church like most traveling ministers do. And he was having issues. And, uh, and I was trying to, you know, I'm not his pastor, so I have to be very careful, you know. But if he asks for counsel, I have to get permission from other people to give him counsel because there's certain ministry ethics and stuff you have to follow. But it, it, with, the, with all of that, I, I, I'm talking and as I'm getting into the deeper things, I'm realizing that, that the, the, the traveling minister's own pastor is being used of the devil. Which, shock, which is very shocking because you don't expect that. But then the Holy Ghost started to show me why that pastor was being able to be used of the devil. Because there were certain areas in his personality that he hadn't renewed his mind in. And then he's, when, when you don't have a renewed mind, you'll start taking a slight against somebody because you don't like something in their soul realm. Your soul doesn't like their soul. And then if you're in a position of authority, and you don't guard against that. You'll start, you can really hurt people. You can really hurt people. And that poor minister had no idea that the devil was, he just was hurt. But it took somebody outside the situation looking in to say, there's more than what's happening that you realize what's happening. There's actually an evil spirit working through your own pastor to try to get you out of the ministry. Because pastors can be carnal too. Do you understand? Are you listening to me? Now, don't take that too far because I'm not planning on doing that to you. <laughs> the context of what I'm saying is about traveling ministers. But I will say this. Over the years, over 15 years now, almost, we've had many people come to the church that feel they're called to the ministry. And I know they're not. But either they have a real heart for God or they love to witness, so they think that's a call. Or they love to teach because they're good at talking, so they think that's a call. Or they just love church and they just want to do something. I've got to do something for God. And just serving and being faithful isn't enough for them. And so they're, they're riled up, but it's not by the Holy Ghost. And they want to do something. So they're, they're, for a variety of reasons, they think they're called. So then my job as a pastor is to pray. So I would pray and I would realize they're not called. Because God would show me that they're not called. So then I would call them in and I'd say, you're not called. You need to stop this nonsense. You need to be faithful and be quiet. Because you're, you're, you're going to mess your life up and your children's life. If you try to quit your job and go into some ministry, that's not going to work. And the Lord rebuked me. And I said, but Lord, you showed me that he's not called. So why are you rebuking me for being direct? And the Lord said, because you're breaking his spirit. And I don't want you being cruel. I know he's smart. He'll listen, but he don't know. So do I get him to know by forcing it down his throat or do I let him figure it out? You see, you can break people because you're right and they're wrong, but they don't see that they're wrong. And so you're trying to force that knowledge on them, but they're not ready to receive that knowledge. And the Lord rebuked me, not that I was wrong, but that the way I handled it was wrong. This is 13 years ago. I didn't know that much back then. So the Lord, I said, well, how do I handle that? And he said, don't you ever tell somebody they're not called, even if you know they're not. Now you can say the Lord, I don't have any witness that you're called. You can say that. He said, but what you tell them is you go seek God. You go fast and pray. 
You go pour your heart out to God with everything. The Bible says if you search him for him with all your heart, you will find him. And when you find him, you'll find your answer. Why don't you go and seek God yourself? And if you are and you insist that you still are, then he has to open doors. Because if he don't open doors to put a stamp on you, then obviously you're not. That is the litmus test. That's the proof in the pudding is that he will, if you're a pastor, people will start coming. And if you're a traveling minister, doors will start opening. And, and the Lord said, that's how you handle it. You may know, but if they're not ready to receive what you know, you don't stuff it down their throat and break their spirit. You tell them, you pray, you seek God, you figure this out, and I'm just going to pray for you. If you want my counsel, I'll give you my counsel. But if you're insistent because you're, you've, you're stubborn, you go and pray and seek God. And if it's God, it will work. Amen. Do you understand? So you see, I, don't, I didn't mean to be used of the enemy. I'm just, and I actually know truth. But because of my approach, the enemy could come working through that situation to crush that person. Sometimes they can even get suicidal. They can even feel like their life's not worth it because you're crushing their dream. And God don't want that. Let the Holy Ghost crush their dream because he's the perfect crusher. The Holy Ghost can show you that you're not supposed to do something and he makes you feel so loved while he's crushing your dream and then he gives you a new dream that's the right dream and he just lifts you up and you soar like an eagle. He never pushes you in the dirt. Only he can do that. People can't do that no matter how skillful they are. So sometimes you see my heart was right. I was actually correct in, my, in the stand but the approach can the enemy can use He's not possessing me. He's not even on me. I'm saying the situation, enemy, evil spirits can come in through that situation and attack that person that I'm talking to because I don't use skill in how I'm speaking to them. Do you understand? And so now after I've learned that, I don't ever crush people. I just say, I'll pray for you and you better seek God because you think you're going to go in the ministry and succeed. Very few people do. There's no amens because none of you are in the ministry. But if you preachers were here, they would agree. Very few people overall, lots of people go in the ministry. Very few people are even called to go in the ministry. And even fewer are called at the right time to go into the ministry. And even fewer than those are connected to the right spiritual father for the right, for the right anointing to propel them. So I just tell people, don't, don't, look, don't look for that. Don't long for that. Just be grateful you're not called. Just be grateful that you get a good job, that you can leave, and you can come and serve, and just be and help the revival. But if somebody insists they are, I won't crush them. I'll op- because my aggression can actually be used of the enemy, which I don't want it to be used, but it can be to hurt that person. And so some time ago, I was dealing with somebody, so I know how to deal with that because that pastor hasn't learned that. He's crushing that person. And it's not his place to crush them. It's his place to tell them to pray. So what I'm saying is if the enemy can, if he'll try direct, but he'll also try through flesh and blood. And if he can get you through somebody that you are close to, that would be his highest goal because it will hurt you more. It will, it will cut you deeper. If it's somebody you don't know very well, you can kind of just, do you understand? I was driving down on, on Sunday night to the healing service. And that, that I knew that healing anointing was, was there. I, I knew it was coming. I knew it was already in the car. And, and, and Jerry Savelle told me that this happens to him sometime when, that, when a special anointing is on him to do something. And uh, I'm driving, and this crazy person, I mean, he was crazy. He come up behind me. I'm just in my lane driving normally. And he's, there was, I didn't know what was going on at first. I'm looking, he's flashing his lights, and I'm just driving. I, 
I'm just driving. I'm, I'm praying in the spirit. And he pulls up. He lowers his window. And he's screaming cuss words at me. You! And I just looked at him. I, I didn't know what to do. I just looked at him and I, I said, thank God he only had a Toyota. I had a Tesla. So I just touched that gas pedal and I'm gone, buddy. So then he, but then he came back. He was following me through traffic. I could look in the rearview mirror and he was weaving through traffic like a crazy person trying to get to me. He came back up screaming. And I said, and I didn't even look at him this time. I just kept going and I took, and I lost him again because he's in that wretched Toyota. Toyotas are great, Jenny, you drive one. You drive one, but his was wretched. Yours isn't wretched. But as I'm driving, I'm thinking, what the heck is going on here? I did not do anything. Honestly, I don't know where. And the Holy Ghost said, that's demons, son. That's demons. You don't believe me, but those demons recognize what I'm about to go and do. And they actually can plan people to try to hurt you, to try to cut you off, to try to get you frustrated, to try to shake your, you know what I mean? I mean, God won't let them hurt me. I have dominion. But I'm just saying people, when they're outraged like that, they can pull a gun on you. They can do anything. <laughs> By the way, my insurance company told me, you ever face road rage, always get in front. Just a little thought. It's up to you if you want to follow it or not. Always stay in front. Because if they hit their brakes and you hit them from behind, you're the ones that, that, that's at fault. Always stay in front of them. Thank God I got a faster car than him. I just stayed in front of him the whole time. And I thought, if he hits me in the back, it's his problem. He's going to be the one that gets in trouble, not me. Because as long as I'm in front, I'm good. I'm the head and not the tail. Especially with crazy people. Stay in front of them. Don't let them get behind you. Don't, don't, don't. You don't, you get behind them. Anyway, that's, not, that's, a, that's a free nugget on the side though. But, but Jenny, I, I'm shocked that even strangers, Jerry told me in that revival at Evangel Temple, he said multiple times that he would be driving to the airport and crazy people would come out of the woodwork he had never seen before and try to cut them off. One guy got out of the car, tried to, try to hurt them, yelling, cussing at them, him and Pastor Bud, and, and they didn't do anything. And the Lord said, those are demons being stirred up because of that anointing. Ignore them. Bind them and keep driving. In the stores, it's happened to him. He's had to bind that and get back in the car and keep driving. Because sometimes even in public, depending on what kind of anointing is operating, if it's a stronger anointing, if it's for something bigger than just a normal thing, it can stir, it can rile people up. And devils know more than you give them credit for. I'm saying that to say, we're not, I'm not wrestling against that guy. I recognize there's demons influencing that human being. That poor traveling minister had to understand there's demons even through his own pastor trying to crush him. Pastor doesn't mean to do it, but he's not skillful. And when you're not skillful, the enemy can use what you do. So be careful how you talk to people. Be careful how you, what you say to people. Because I'm telling you, the enemy can use you without you wanting him to use you, without you meaning for him to use you. Uh, it's very important. Dr. DeCoulter taught me something called social graces. Do you know what a social grace is? A social grace means you have grace socially. That means you don't look at somebody and go, oh, wow, are you pregnant? If you're not sure that they're pregnant. I know you are. We've had people in our church go up to somebody that's overweight and say, wow, when are you do?" And that person has left our church because of it. You think I'm kidding you? We've had people comment about other people's clothing and they've left the church. That's called not having grace in a social setting. 
Your words, the Bible says, is to be seasoned with grace. Watch how you talk to people. Watch what you say to people. Watch what your comments are. And don't be so opinionated because you're maybe not always the one that's right. Your sense of fashion may not be the universal sense of fashion. Your hairstyle may not be what everybody's hairstyle should be. No, I'm serious. We've got to talk about these things as a pastor because the enemy can use your words. You don't even mean it. You're not, he's not on you or in you or anything like that. But you, the way you handle situations, he can come in through your words because you're not skillful with grace. And he can use that to crush people, to wound people. What's he trying to do? Make the church smaller. He's trying to destroy this church. Are you listening to me? He does not like what we preach. He does not like this healing anointing that's increasing on me. He does not like what we're doing on the radio. He does not like inviting people out there to come and be healed. He does not like the vision. He does not like what we're doing. Doors have just opened this week in India for me. Praise God. I'm going. Pastor Happy's going with me. Richard Roberts has opened some doors. We're going to preach in the South, the Central, and the North next year. Doors are opening. The devil does not like that happening. He does not like what we're doing. And his job is to shrink this church down to nothing. So you can play into his hand by not being gracious with people. Or you can refute what he's doing and walk in love and let your words be seasoned with grace and have grace socially and encourage people through the simple gift of prophecy. That's not laying hands on them in the bathroom. That's not saying, you know, you're going to meet a redhead, his name's going to be Frank, and you're going to have six kids. It's not foretelling, and it's not correction. You don't, you're not authorized to correct people or to foretell their future. Do you understand? At least not in this building, you're not. Because you're equals and, and co-laborers, but, but people have done that and messed people up because they think they're prophesying right and they're not. Then that person goes and follows their instruction, but that person's not anointed to prophesy to you. They're anointed to encourage you. All of you are anointed to encourage each other. You're not anointed to correct each other, and you're not anointed to prophesy future foretelling events to each other. Offices are anointed to do that. That's why if there's a problem, come and tell me or the staff, and we will deal with that person from an office because I know how to do it without crushing them. And if they don't listen, like what's happened at times before, where they've said to me, we can sleep around if we want, you can't do anything about it. And I said, oh, really, I can't? And I heard the, the words came out before I could catch them. I probably wouldn't have been that mean. But the Holy Ghost sometimes can be mean when he's upset with people. Not mean, but aggressive. And the words came out before I could grab them back, and, and these words came out of my spirit. Get out and don't come back. And we had to get security and the police to get them off our property because they wanted to sleep around in the congregation and they wouldn't submit to my authority to say the Bible says you can't do that. Right. We've had a lot of predators come over the years that you don't even know about. We've had people come only to get, to get girls to sleep with them. And thank God for the Holy Ghost because I'll look and I'll see in the spirit and I'll say, I'll talk to them, get that person out or get that person in my office. I'm going to talk to them. They're, they're not safe. Yeah. So what I'm saying is the enemy can use yeah. those kind of people. The enemy can use us by, by when us, us not being skillful and not walking in love and, and, and we're playing into his hand. It's so important that you walk in love with, with each other and that you, you're not authorized to correct each other or to tell each other the future. You can pray for each other. You could say, you know what? I was praying for you and I, I, you know, I, I, 
I, I send something. I don't, I'd rather you not even do that. But if, if you want to do that, that's your business. But try not to do it in this building. You want to call somebody privately, you can. My point is, is that the anointing works through divine order. And, and if there's going to be stuff about your future, God will show you or he'll show you from an office that either I, the, me or somebody I trust and have delegated authority to, which includes guest speakers. It's not going to be from little people all over the place or, are you listening, from other ministers that we don't have any knowledge of, we don't know, because we don't know what their safety is. Right, yeah. Do you understand? Yeah. Somebody called me a little while ago and sent me a clip of them going to this church on a Sunday night, and the pastor called them out and started prophesying this and prophesying that, and I, and I just was like, what is your problem? So I got to that person, I said, that pastor's wrong. What he's saying is wrong. He was prophesying for them to get married, and God already told me that they shouldn't get married. And it turned out the guy that he said to you to get married to was cheating on her while he was prophesying to her. And she found that out later. And I said to her, why are you going to other churches, to some prophet's ministry for some person that you have no idea who they are, except they're on TV? Big whoop. I could be on TV. All you need is money. You don't need the anointing. You don't need integrity. You just need money. And you're submitting yourself for a stranger to lay hands on you for whatever's on them to get on you and then prophesy nonsense. You see how stupid that is? But people do that all the time. In the body of Christ, not in this church. Don't, you don't need to do that. I need a word. I didn't, no, you don't. You need to pray. You need to pray and you need to be faithful to church. And if you really don't know something, then come talk to me and I'll give you a word. I've got lots of words. I'll give you one of them. See how the enemy can use that prophet, Jenny? You see how he can use? We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against the enemy. The prophet was not right. But I'm not mad at the prophet. What I'm realizing is the enemy will use all forms of people to get you off track. He'll use all forms of people to get you offended. He'll use all forms of people to get you discouraged. He'll try to get the closest ones to you because it hurts the best, hurts the deepest. If he can't, he'll work his way down the ranks, even to strangers. But we're not wrestling against people. The people aren't our enemy. You've got to be skillful to know if you're going to be word and spirit, if you're going to be full of the word and full of power, there's going to be people, in addition to the devil himself, who is going to take a target on you. And listen, you've got to be skillful how you handle that and not get in the flesh about the person. Now, sometimes you have to stand up to a person and say, I don't agree with you. You're not going to walk over me. I'm not a carpet. You sometimes have to stand up, but I'm saying even when you stand up, they're not the enemy. It's very important you remember that. The enemy is using them. They're fleshly. They're not to be trusted. I wouldn't necessarily make them my friend, but they're not my enemy. They're a human being that is ignorant and that is being used of a more powerful force that they usually know nothing about. And he's using their carnality and their flesh because that's how he enters with carnality and flesh. And he's got an unlimited number of people that are carnal flesh buckets that he can use. What it would be sad if he found flesh buckets in the church to use people in the church to hurt people, other people in the church. Yeah. What would be even more crying shame is if the pastor's a flesh bucket yeah. and he can use a pastor to hurt. Yeah. What's a really sad thing is when he uses your mate to hurt you. Yeah. Because they're not skillful with their words and with their thinking. Yeah. Or your children. Yeah. Because they're growing and they don't know things. So they sometimes say things. You understand what I'm saying? He will try. I don't know why I'm on this so long, but obviously somebody needs to hear it. Uh, don't, don't you worry about it. You're only dealing with evil spirits and you have utter dominion over them. Now, it's not as cut and dry as that because you're dealing with people and you, gotta, you, know, you don't have dominion over the people. 
but you have dominion over the evil spirits working through those people. And so what do you do? How do you handle it? Well, we've had people try to attack us, Jenny. And the Lord has said to me, take authority over that evil spirit. So I take authority over that evil spirit. You know, they'll be calling people in the church and lying about me. But, but, but yet the person keeps doing it. So I say, well, Lord, what do I do? Because I've dealt with that evil spirit. But now listen, I can hold that spirit off. That spirit can influence them if I get in the spirit and deal with them. But they can still keep their bad behavior going. Why? Because you can do bad behavior without a demon influencing you. You can do bad behavior just because you're bad. And I'm talking about a born-again, spirit-filled believer. They just have a mean streak. They have an unrenewed mind, and they're carnal, and they want to hurt. So I can take authority over the demon that is, that is empowering them, but if they are still in the flesh, they can do a lot of damage. So I'm still dealing with a person, but I've ultimately had to deal with the spirit behind the person. So in certain kinds like that, I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Because Dad Hagen said, anytime somebody maligns the church, tries to stop the church's growth, tries to speak against the pastor, anytime and every time, it's a demonic influence. So we've had that many times. And I take authority over it. I said, Lord, I know that spirit's bound. Why does it keep happening? Because they're carnal and they're doing it out of their soul now. So what do I do? And the Lord said, call a lawyer. You say, oh, but well, we're spiritual. No, because we're, we're dealing with the spiritual. But sometimes you've got people that won't yield to the Holy Ghost. And even though demons aren't influencing them, their own flesh is so strong. Their personal hatred for you is so strong. They will keep attacking you even though a demon is not necessarily pushing them because you've dealt with that spirit. So at times you have to be led by the spirit. How are you going to deal with that person physically? And we've had to... Lawyers, uh, uh, we've had arrow with our lawyer, and thank God we've got a born-again lawyer. And he's very smart, but don't mess with him. And so he has had to send letters. He has had to send threatening things. The promise of life is going to sue you to Sunday. You said, but Pastor Craig, that's uh, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, hold on a second. Are you sure that's not what the Bible says? The Bible says don't sue a brother. But the Bible also says when that brother is in sin and hurting the church, it says eject him from the church and don't even have coffee with him. And it says he's no longer from that perspective until he repents your brother. Because Paul said you don't even eat with him. You shun him. So I said to the Lord, I don't know if I should. you telling me to sue? Father, that's not even scripture. He said, oh, really? See, we've got to renew our minds to some of these things. He said what he's done has removed him from being, he's, he's, he's ejected. You shun him now. And if he keeps going, sue him to Sunday. Don't think I won't. We're going to pay the building one way or the other. I'm telling you that. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to use that to pay the building. (laughs) What I'm saying is sometimes you have to deal with the individual person because they're doing it out of their own soul. I've dealt with the spirit, but this is just a bad hearted person. And you got, that's why we have laws. That's why we have police. That's why we have hitmen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) That's why we have lawyers. True story. Jesse DePlantis told Jerry this, and Jerry told me this over the dinner table. True story. He went and prayed. uh, There's the mob. The mob found out about Jesse DePlantis and that he has power in his hand to heal people. One of the mob guys, the big up guy, his son was sick or something, and they called Jesse, and he went and met with the mob in their home. I just think that is just wonderful. I mean, just let me in on that stuff. And they talked, just, I'm going to discuss something with you, Brother Jesse. 
And, you know, and they said, would you please pray? And he said, absolutely, I'll pray. And he prayed and the son got healed as a sign to point them to Jesus. But the mob didn't always read the signs right because the sign is to point them to Jesus. But all they saw it was as you did me a favor. So they said to him, no word of life. They said to him, you didn't say anything you need. And they meant we'll kill anybody you want. That's what they meant. And Jesse joked to Jerry and said, I started thinking carnally for a second how many people that I actually could give them a list of. And they were serious. They were going to take care of his problems because he healed their son. Jesus threw him. But they just looked at it wasn't Jesus, it was him. And so we're going to do you, we're indebted to you now. Oh, my God. So that's why I said, you know, we've got lawyers, we've got the mob, we've got lots of avenues. No, we don't have the mob. We'll keep things above board. But I'm just trying to say that the enemy will use people, but people can be ill-hearted on their own. Sometimes you need God to guide you and lead you. Because when you're a brother in Christ, when you're a sister in Christ, you don't act that way. You don't try to hurt people and destroy churches and lie about people. And, and, and that's all sinful behavior. And Paul, for lesser offenses, said, you're out. I won't even eat with you. In fact, he lists six things to kick people out. You know what one of them is? People that are railing and rage. Screamers. People that scream at their wife. I have a right to kick you out of the church and shun you. People that are drunkards. People that do extortion schemes. They try to get, you know, that, that, that intentionally try to steal your money. I'm allowed to kick you out. You read it. It's in the Bible. There's six things I can kick you out for, and I have rights before God to do it. And the Bible considers you that you're on the outs with the local church. When you're on the outs, you better be careful. You're, you better be very careful. Because the one who slept with his, with his stepmother was on the outs. And he said, he better die quick. Because the mercy will take him to heaven even though he's dying in sin. The season of mercy. But if I let that go too long, the season of mercy will run out. And if he dies, he'll go to hell, even though he used to be saved. So this eternal salvation is a bunch of nonsense. It doesn't exist. The Baptist theology of once saved, always saved is not scriptural. You can't lose your salvation easily, but it is possible. You can't lose it easily, but it is possible. And there's a number of ways you can do it. And one of them is committing gross sin, not repenting. Being kicked out of the local church, not repenting, and living a long life. Yeah. You're in dangerous hellfire trouble. Yeah. Nobody seems to like this tonight. I'm just being real, I'm being real direct with you. How we treat each other matters. How we treat our husbands and wives matters. Dad Hagen, at the end of a conference, back at the end of his life, he stood up and he started to prophesy. And he said, uh, three of you won't be here next year. You're going to die. And God's not going to protect you because you deserve it. And the judgment of God's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, but, I, but I want grace. Well, then treat your wife right. Treat her right. Amen. <laughs> there was no mercy. They'd, they'd run out on the mercy. Yeah. He said, you're going to die. You won't be here next year. And you know, the next year they did the tally. Three of them were dead. And then he got up the next year by the spirit at the very end as he was saying goodbye to everybody and thanking them for coming. And he began to prophesy. He said, oh, oh, another three, another three. You'll die this year too because you won't treat your wife right. Okay, see you next year. And that year, three of them dropped dead. How you treat your wife and how you treat your husband matters to God, especially when you're in the ministry, but all the time it matters. How you treat your children, if how you're handling your finances, how you're handling vices, addictions, it matters to God. The local church is not just a rotary cup where everybody can come and act however they want. 
This is a safe place where people are not perfect, but they're hungry and they're willing to change. Hallelujah. I'll let a homosexual in any day of the week and twice on Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. If they want to change, if they're looking for hope, if they're looking to say, I want to be right. I just heard of two homosexuals in New York. Somebody witnessed to them and they had never heard once in their life it was wrong. And their hearts were right. And they got born again and they cut off their relationship and they said, God changed the way we feel sexually. And God did a miracle. And overnight they started desiring the opposite sex. Now they're both married to in a heterosexual relationship and they've remained friends, but in a pure way, not in a sexual way. And they're in a local church serving. Now that is what God wants. That is what God wants. He doesn't want us hating them or attacking them or shunning them. Because many don't even know it's wrong. Their conscience is so seared. They don't even know what they're doing is wrong. And God loves them. And if their heart wants God's way, not CNN's way, God's way, not Trudeau's way, God's way. If their heart wants God's way and they come, God will change them. He will. I don't know how I got off on all of this. We talked about the mob. We've talked about suing. We've talked about, <laughs> we've talked about you'll be killed if you don't treat your wife right. No, I'm kidding. You're not going to be killed. I'm saying just pay attention. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against people, but against evil spirits. And sometimes the evil spirit, the people still go at us. So there's natural things to do, but he's not, this verse doesn't explain every aspect of every part of life that you're ever going to face. This is one aspect because there's other verses that talk about the other aspects, but he's saying primarily, I'm not against the person. I'm against the spirit working through that person. I want to encourage you tonight. Don't be the kind of person that gives an open door for the enemy to work through you because of what you say to people in this church. Are you listening to me? I don't know why the Holy Ghost keeps having me say that. How you treat people matters to God. How you comment about their clothing, their hairstyle, their weight, their dress matters to God. How you comment about their children matters to God. How you build them up matters. You are told the simple gift of prophecy is not foretelling and correction. It's edification, exhortation, and comfort. You are supposed to be encouraging each other, loving each other, comforting each other. When somebody's down, lifting them up. So that it's not just the word that they're getting or the worship that they're getting, but they're, before they leave the building, seven people have given them a word of encouragement. And maybe if you've been praying for somebody this week, maybe if you actually prayed, God would bring somebody up, up to your face and then look for that person. It don't to be weird, but you could just go, I just want you to know, I don't know what you're going through, but it's going to be okay. I was praying for you this week. God showed me your face and I don't know what you're going through, but I'm praying for you. And maybe they just need somebody to talk to. You never know. Maybe they'll say, well, can I share with you what I'm going through? then go ahead and let them share with you. You don't have to turn it into a counseling session. And, but you, many of you have enough word that you can speak a word in season and encourage somebody. Isn't that what the local church is supposed to be? Instead of people being cliquish and ornery and, and racist and proud and arrogant and smir- smirking at people and snarky at people and people feeling hurt. And the devil just comes with a heyday and tries to destroy that local church. And the poor pastor is doing everything right, but the people are destroying what God's trying to build. What you say matters. Are you you listening to me? What my staff say. They are accountable for their words. And I hold them accountable for their words. And if they say something that hurts you, what my ministers say who are under me are accountable for their words. And I hold them accountable. And if they say something to crush you or hurt you, you better tell me. Well, I don't want to cause division. You're causing more division by not telling me. 
Because when you don't tell me, I can't get, I can't get to the root of that. And then what happens is that behavior continues and continues and continues and more damage and collateral damage is done while you stayed silent so that you didn't want to be a tattletale. But now seven more people have been wounded because you wouldn't say something. Are you really loving the church by staying silent? No. You're, what you're loving the church is by private, either go to that person and do it in love or go to a leader and say, there is an issue. And we will handle that because we're not novices and we know how to handle it. And if they get offended and leave, believe me, it's on their head. Because when I get involved, I baby wrap them in bubble wrap. They look like the Michelin men. I've wrapped them in layer after layer of love. I, I stroke them and I love them and I'm kind to them. But then I tell them the truth. And if they're going to leave after all of that love, then they just can't handle the truth. You can't be in a church if you can't handle the truth. Right? Wow, it's 846. That's excellent. Lots of time left, Taylor. We're going to 10 tonight, right? 10 o'clock. Okay. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, watch now. Wherefore, be strong in the word and the spirit. You're going to be attacked, and primarily through people. So wherefore? So because of these attacks, why they come? Because you're strong in the word. And don't think the stronger you get, the devil leaves you alone. The stronger you get, the more threat you are. <laughs> but you'll also be more fulfilled. Be strong. Attacks will come direct and through people. So don't be one used in the attack. But when you get attacked, learn how to handle it. Now, wherefore, this is all part of the same theme. Do you understand? Put on, take up, take unto you the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand. The evil day is referring to all these evil spirits it mentions in the previous verse wanting to attack you. Do you understand? Jesus said every day has enough evil sufficient for itself. This says the evil day. So I don't like to confess all the time this is an evil day, this is an evil day. Oh my God, it's going to be an evil day. But the reality is every day has enemies that are trying. So every day you've got to get skillful in how to handle that and not be moved. And not be bothered. And not be disquieted. Ephesians 4.11 says, I've learned to be content. I always looked at that verse like, you know, when I'm poor, just be happy with it. And when you're rich, be happy with it too. But that's not really what it's talking about. It is talking about that, but it's not. If you really study that word, content, what it means in the original language is when you're under attack. And it could be financially or not financially. You have learned to not be bothered. Or your peace stolen, disquieted means your peace has been robbed from you. You've learned not to be moved in your emotional realm yes. when the attack comes. Yes. Whether you're abased, whether it's whether you have abundance, and it doesn't just mean finances. Whether everything's going great or whether you're abased, abound or abased. Everything, whether it's not going great or everything's going great. And it's not just financial like everybody thinks. When things are going good and when things are not going good. I've learned, learned. He didn't know how to do it before. He didn't know. Because when that evil spirit attacked him about the churches, he didn't know what to do. And he was buffeted. And he went to God three times. What do I do? He said, my grace of vision. That don't mean my grace of vision, so put up with it. That's a bunch of religious nonsense. What that means is my grace, my power is enough in you to deal with that devil, so deal with him. Not my grace is sufficient, so I just be a punching bag the rest of my life. Come on, 
That's what religion tells us. That is not what that scripture means. It means I've given you dominion. I've given you power. I've given you a name. I've given you grace. Now deal with that devil. Don't yell at me and ask me to deal with it because Jesus can't deal with demons in the New Testament. You can because he gave you the authority. I can't deal with the evil spirit buffeting you. You deal with it, Paul. And Paul dealt with it. But he didn't learn. At the beginning, he needed God to teach him. But then he got wiser. And he said, I've learned to be content. That means I've learned not to be moved, not to be disquieted, not to be agitated, not to be all emotional. When things are going real bad or things are going real good. And it could be financial or not financial. Abasing and abounding is not just financial. It's life. Some days it feels like it's an abased day. Have you ever had one of those? And some days feel like it's an abounding day. But I have to learn whether it's an abounding day or an abasing day, whether the pressure is strong on me or not strong on me, whether people are attacking me a lot or not attacking me a lot, whether the devil is coming after me a lot directly or not, I have to learn because it doesn't come natural. I've got to learn how am I not going to be moved? How am I not going to let my mind freak out? How am I going to garner my thoughts and stay stable in the midst of this? I've got to learn how to do that. Part of the way you do that is this armor. This is, this is, whether you like it or not, this will help you. It will help you. This armor, now listen, I've always said, you know, put on the armor, God, and I'm like everybody else, I'm like, I don't know what it means. It's like, I don't know, a helmet or something, and I got a boots or something. I can't remember what it all is. I don't know what it means. I've ignored this verse for years because I don't know what it means. I don't wear armor. What are you talking about? I wear, I, don't, I have a belt, but it's not holding a sword or nothing. Pastor Nancy said some things last week that just shook my wig. And I don't even have a wig, but it shook it anyway. And she said something. Can I tell you what? Can I tell you something, a statement that she made? The armor is not something you put on with a confession. Great. I've been messing up for 40 years. (laughs) The armor is not something you put on with a confession. I put on the armor of God. I put on the helmet of self. That's not how you do it. I always thought that's how you did it. That's why I never really did it much because it didn't seem in my spirit that was the right way to do it, but I didn't know the right way to do it, so I just ignored these scriptures for many years. Armor is not something you put on a confession. It's a lifestyle. It's revelation. The things, these things are revelation to you and you wear the revelation. These things are revelation to you and you wear the revelation of them. You don't put them on by confession, you put them on by revelation. You put them on by lifestyle. So she just went through it and I thought, boy, that's good, Lord. And I said, I know when I tell my congregation, they're all gonna be like, oh, oh, wow, that's so great. And of course it's from Pastor Nancy, it's not from me, and then I get a little bit jealous. So I said, Lord, you're gonna give me something good too, so that they'll awe and awe, not just with Pastor Nancy. No, I didn't say that. I said, Father, teach me this from an open, humble heart because I really want to understand this. And he started talking to me. She stopped talking about it. She moved on. She just made that statement. But God started talking to me about the armor. It really helped me. And I want to try to share it with you because this is all this theme is be strong. By the way, you're going to be attacked. But don't worry, there's revelation for you to wear. And then after you go from that revelation, now it says pray. Praying always with all prayer. In the spirit, supplicating for all saints. And then pray for your pastor. They did a bold utterance. All of this is a theme. It it, it culminates in prayer. Your prayer life. 
Your prayer life equals you're being led by the spirit life because the more you pray, the more you're led by the spirit. So in some, in some indirect way, we are talking about being led by the spirit because if you don't know these things, you can't have a proper prayer life. If you don't have a proper prayer life, you won't have a proper being led life. But these things help your prayer life. These things help you against the attacks of these categories of enemies that will also work through people. So, what is our first thing? And then we'll go through this and then we'll end. Let's go through, uh, what's the first one it says there? That you may be able to stand and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins, your loins, that's your waist, girt about with truth. The, the belt of. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench with the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Then it goes right into praying. Which is the same thought process, but now we're focusing on a different aspect of it. Now, how many were there if you're a good counter? How many many armor pieces are there? Six. Can you look at me for a second? It's very easy. Think of your body. You've got one here, you've got one here, you've got one here, you've got one there, and you've got one in each hand. Okay? You've got something on your head, something on your chest. It covers all of your body parts. Something on your head, something on your midsection, something around your waist, something on your feet, and something in each hand. Now, if you study this, and the Lord showed me this supernaturally because I've never seen this before. He said, I want to teach you what these things are. And in the hotel, he started talking to me about it. And... uh, Number one, I want to start with the, with the helmet of salvation because the helmet of salvation is, if you study it in the Greek, it means an encircling glorious salvation. Every day in our mind and in our thought life, what is a helmet? It protects your head. Obviously, that's something to do with your mind. But why is it called salvation? Why is it not called something else? Because understanding your salvation, the sozo, the life of God, it encircles you. In your thought life. Now I want you to pay attention that the helmet of salvation is talking about what? The mind. Now it's the salvation that God has given is so glorious it encircles every thought. It should encircle, it should encompass about all our thoughts all the time because our salvation is so grand. But what is the helmet about? It's about your thought life, it's about your mind. So what is God wanting you to get revelation on? Your thoughts. How you think. What's the next thing? I want you to look at the breastplate of righteousness. That covers now your heart, your vital organs. That breastplate, it protects. It's a protective gear. But, and it means really two different things. To have, to have the breastplate of righteousness on is not just say, Lord, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's not how you do it. It's getting a revelation by the in him scriptures of who you are in Christ and getting a revelation that you actually have been made righteous. The more skillful you are that you are righteous, that you're not to be be bombarded by thoughts of your past, guilt, condemnation, your conscience. You you know, the Bible says our conscience has been cleansed by the blood, and, and he's reset us. Understanding that you're right before God and that you don't, you're not a worm and you don't have to cower and, re- and repent every two seconds because you're not sitting every two seconds. You're made righteous. You're living righteous. Now, if you mess up, then repent. But, but you're conscious of righteousness. You're not conscious of sin all the time. Understanding that you're, the revelation of that you're righteous in Christ is a protection to your heart. 
It's a protection to the vitality of your life. What are the organs? They're vital organs. What when I get a revelation that I'm righteous in him, that I don't have to be bombarded with thoughts of guilt and condemnation. The devil can't lie to me and accuse me all the time because I look at him and I say, I'm righteous. Shut up. I don't listen to you. If I've sinned, I've repented and I'm still righteous. You have no right to lie to me and put those thoughts in my mind. Understanding that you're right before God is a protection to the vitality of you. On the other side of that coin, living right, doing right. Uh, you gotta, you got to pursue righteousness, meaning when you have an opportunity to do wrong or right, do right. It's not just understanding I'm righteous in Christ at the time of the new birth. That's part of it. But there's paths of righteousness because the other path is holiness or consecration, meaning I should continue to do right and live right and become more like Jesus. So it's a revelation of what happened at the new birth is a protection to me. I'm righteous. But it's also a revelation of I am living right. I am living right. I'm making decisions every day that are right. And those right decisions protect the vitality of my spiritual life. Because you make wrong decisions all the time, your spiritual life is going to suffer. That's right, yeah. Now, so that's talking about righteousness. That's its own category. Now you've got the belt of truth. Now, if you study this belt of truth, that's quite interesting because it doesn't just mean truth. It means hidden truth. It means revealed truth. It means you're encircled with revelation. Are you listening to me? You're encircled with revealed truth. Rhema word. Hmm. Now, let's go to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What is the word of God? It's truth. Right? The sword of the spirit, it's the rhema word. But I want you to notice two rhema words are mentioned in the armor. One is in your hand and one is around your waist. Because you can't, are you listening? I know it's a little bit deep, but you can't use the sword if you don't have the belt. Where is the sword? It's hanging on the belt. You have to have revelation, are you listening to me? In your personal, daily, day-to-day life, just because you love the Word and God is revealing it on a regular basis to you, and everywhere you turn, 360 degrees, there's a revelation popping all the time. That's the belt. Now that that lifestyle of revelation is in place, which surrounds you, now at times, which is fairly regular, you're going to take that revelation in the word in a sword form and you're going to use it against the enemy. Because it's the only offensive weapon listed out of six. I don't just have revealed truth to use to attack the devil. I have revealed truth all around me all the time. I live in revealed truth. I am consumed and surrounded and encompassed by revelation. My whole life, everywhere I turn, there should be revelation. Now, if you have the belt, the sword will be easy to use. Are you listening to me? God said this to me in the hotel. He said, my, a lot of my church, they get a scripture and they go, oh, thank God. Oh, yeah, I got the word. And they got the sword, revealed word. And they'll start hacking their problem. They put their sword down. The mature Christian is constantly getting revelation. And the revelation is surrounding them in belt form. They don't just use the word in an emergency. They use the word as a lifestyle. The belt is the lifestyle. The attack is the sword. 
Focus on the belt more than the sword and the sword will work better for you. Focus on just living in revealed truth and then anytime you need it, it's right there. Take it, put it back in. People use the word in emergencies all the time, but they don't have a surrounding of truth. You need truth all the time. Are you listening? <laughs> Hallelujah. It helped me. Then you got the shield of faith, which is its own category. Faith, which comes by the word, right? I mean, you can't have faith without the word. So the, the, the shield is the result of the sword. Think of it like the sword morphs into a shield, but you've got two pieces there. If you don't have the sword, you can't have the shield because faith comes by the revealed word. So the more you have the belt and the more you use the sword on the belt, the more the shield is going to come into your life because faith can only come because of the sword. So faith is there. Now, I want you to notice that there's another piece here called the shoes, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I've been taught all my life that that means you need to witness to people. All my life, that's what people have taught me. That's what denominational churches have taught. That's what my pastor in South Africa taught. You know, hey, let's get our shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We've got the gospel in our feet. We're going to take the gospel out there. You've got the gospel in your feet, Pastor Craig. Go now and preach the gospel. That is not what it's talking about at all. It just sounds cool, but it's not what it is. And I don't know what it means. I've never known what that meant. Because I know it's not evangelism, but I don't know what it means. And the Lord said to me, would you like me to tell you? I said, Lord, you, got, you can't tell me five and leave out one. I need you to tell me all six of them. And he spoke to me. He said, what does it say? Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So he said, what does that mean? Your feet are shod with peace. Okay. I thought I meant I have to bring the gospel of peace as I witness. No, that's not what it's talking about. Your feet, none of these verses are about witnessing. They're about your life. They're about your life. The context is not outreach. The context is in reach. He said, I'm not talking about taking the gospel of peace out. That's other verses. He said, Craig, I'm telling you, Taylor, it was revelation to me. He said, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You are wearing shoes of peace. Now he said, now son, what do you do in your shoes? He asked me this. Like I'm a kindergarten. I guess I am. I said, I don't know. You walk. He said, right. You walk in peace. Walk in peace. Yeah. And I said, well, how does that connect? And he said, now this, this blew my mind. And I almost so passing Nancy, but she might use it and not give me credit. So I thought I'm not telling her. <laughs> I heard him say this. He said, tell my people if they would walk in peace more as they come to church. It would open up a way, it would prepare a way for the gospel to get inside them. I walk in peace to prepare myself for the entrance of the gospel. The word can't get in you if your mind is all crazy, loopy, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're, I'm serious. I've never seen that before. He said the shoes of the gospel of peace is about the mind and the word. It's the only, it's the only part of, of the armor that has a dual meaning. Because the shoes of peace, you need to walk in peace, which is mind-oriented, so that you can have the gospel, the word, the revelation of the word come in to your life, which is the word orientation. So if you, if you study it, there are three areas in the six talking about the word. The belt is the word. The sword is the word. And the shoes of peace 
is to prepare you for the entrance of the gospel, which is the word. If you look at it out of the five, now remember, there's really seven because one is a dual meaning. Now, if you look at it, the word is mentioned twice. The, 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 sorry, the, the word is mentioned three times and the mind is mentioned twice because you have to have, you have to walk in peace to be able to receive the word. So that peace speaks of your thought life, your soul life. Your spirit's already at peace, but your soul's not always. So the shoes represent both the word and it represents the mind. And the helmet is very clearly representing an encircling of your thought life. Are you with me? What does the armor represent? It represents more than anything else, you getting the word in you. Secondly, it represents the word changing the way you think, washing and renewing your thought life. That's three mentions of the word, two mentions of the mind. That's five. Remember, I said one is a dual, so there's actually seven. And the other one is faith, and the other one is righteousness. But faith comes because of the word. And living right comes because of the word. So really, the armor of God is all about the word and all about your thought life. And you can't put it on with a confession. It has to be a lifestyle. So what is God really saying? I want you to be strong in the word and the spirit. The devil's going to attack you often through people. But don't worry if you'll just get a revelation of my word. If, you'll, if it'll be around you, if you'll have it ready to exercise as, a, as, an, as an offensive weapon, if, if, you're, if that word is getting into you because your thoughts are right and you're in peace, and if your mind is right when that, that helmet and you're living right and you're walking in faith, if you're living these seven revelations... Do you understand that? You don't put them on by speaking them. You've got to, it's a lifestyle. The armor of God is a lifestyle. It's not four minutes in your prayer time. It's a lifestyle. You don't have the belt of truth if you're not getting regular revelation. You don't use the sword unless you actually start speaking to the devil and say it is written. But you shouldn't be using it with an emergency only because it should be in your life. You're supposed to walk in peace. Your life is supposed to be in peace. So the word can get in, not just from the preaching word, not just on your way to church, but what about walking in regular life so that the spirit of God can speak to your heart, the word, the rhema word that you need about this situation, that situation, the other situation. You need the spirit to give you a word. He can't get words if you're not in peace. You've got to walk in peace so that the word of the gospel can get to you. Your thought life has to be sound. Your helmet protects your thought life. What is this revelation? Get in the word and get thinking right. You're going to be strong in the Lord and you're going to have attacks. So your prayer life, we haven't even got to the prayer life yet. Before we even talk about your prayer life, you've got to have a word life. Notice he didn't talk about the prayer life until he had established the thinking life and the word life and the righteous life and the faith life. He didn't even talk about prayer. You know why? Because the deeper you go in prayer, the more devils are going to pay attention to you. The deeper you go in the spirit, the more devils are going to start attacking you. Don't be too eager to go too far in the spirit if you have not got the armor on. Because you will find yourself in a whole boatload of trouble. You'll be oppressed in your thoughts. Your joy will go. You'll be attacked left, right, and center. And I'm not making a bad confession. I'm telling you the truth. And you've heard Pastor Nancy say, God told me back out of that. She was going so far, praying hours in the spirit. She was going into realms that she was not comfortable with. And she was touching things. And devils were being stirred up. And attacks were starting to come because they don't like you on their turf. 
God said, back out. You're not ready. Why? You don't have enough word. And, you don't have enough, and your mind is not sound enough. You've got to learn, Ephesians, Philippians 4.11, you've got to learn to be so content. Dis, you're not disquieted. No matter what is happening, your thought life is strong. In the presence of mine enemies, you'll make a table. I, I just eat. That's right. I know they're there, but I'm just so unmoved. I, my soul is so like a trap, steel trap. I am so strong in the word and in my renewed thoughts. I can sit in the presence of devils and I'm not moved by them. I can go into the deeper places of prayer and I'm not moved by the attack. Don't try to go too deep if you're not strong in the word. Because he didn't even talk about the prayer life until he established the word and the thought life. He said, you're strong in the Lord. That's a general statement. But then he gets into the nitty gritty. The rubber meets the road. You're going to be attacked and all of it's going to be through people. So pay attention. Now, I'm going to give you revelations that you're going to live and it's going to protect you from those attacks. And he dealt with all of that before he even talked about praying. Because when you start to pray and you go deeper, the devil, you get on his radar. And if you don't know how to handle your thought life when you're praying, you will, you will lose the joy of your salvation very quickly. You don't lose your salvation. You'll just become a miserable Christian. How many intercessors the reign have I met over the years? Pastor Nancy talks privately at the table about it. All these intercessors, and they're doing such a great work for God, but they're depressed. They're discouraged. And it's just like nobody wants to be around the intercessors because they're just miserable. And she said, that's not the way it should be. These intercessors have gone so far, but they've gone prematurely because they don't know how to control their thoughts. They don't know how to walk in the joy of the Lord. And the word of God is not strong in them, but they're getting out into these realms because of prayer and the devil is targeting them and just eating their lunch on them and they don't know how to handle it. And they're walking around with a guise of spirituality like, oh, aren't I so spiritual? That's not spirituality. It's not. They're go, they're, but they're depressed, they're oppressed, they're discouraged, and the weight of the world is on them, and that is not the way that God's supposed to have you live. You can be in your prayer closet with a burden, but you're supposed to come out of that prayer closet without the burden. You leave that burden in the prayer closet. But if you don't know how to deal with your thought life, because you're not strong in the word, if you don't have the armor on, going into the prayer realms is going to mess you up. Are you listening? So what, am I, what is my focus, Pastor Happy? My focus is to be a word and spirit person, to recognize how the devil works and be skillful and to focus on word, 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 and thoughts, thoughts, and thoughts, right, walking in peace and got my faith out and living right before God. That's my focus. Not just the word is an emergency sword, the word living the word in truth, whether there's an emergency or not, it's around me. And then I use that sword when I need it. Do you understand? But Jane, I don't need that sword every minute of every day, but I need the belt around me every minute of every day. I use a sword when I need it, but otherwise it's on my sheath because I'm enjoying the comfort of the belt of truth. Focus on the word. Focus on getting your thoughts right. Focus on your faith life and your righteousness revelation. Focus on that. Get that strong because when you start entering into those realms, now you know how to sit in the presence of the enemy and not be moved. Now you know when he tries to attack you, you, you can't touch me. I know what the word says. You can't touch me. My mind is a steel trap. It is completely right. I am not moved. <laughs> and I'll end with this because we are past time. There was an attack that came last week. Uh, well, actually, while I was down there, 
And the situation came up at home and I was dealing with it. And, uh, <laughs> and I was lying on the bed and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and I thought to myself, okay, Lord, I have to, I have to think now. I have to think this through. That's why I said it. I have to think this through. Because for me, the way I process the emotions of it, I know how to deal with it spiritually, but it's emotional. It's, it, emotional pain is attached when people attack us. And so I have to think it through, process it in my soul realm. I, I can deal with it spiritually, but I need to get my soul realm over the hump. Or, or I'll feel discouraged and depressed. And all. So I lay down to process that situation. Are you listening? And as I'm lying there and I was just about to start thinking about and trying to categorize it and get the emotions, get over the emotions of it. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, don't think about that. And I said, but Lord, if I don't think about it, I can't like process it and then kind of let it go. I need to let it go. And he said, don't think about it. I said, I need to teach me, Lord. He said, skillfulness of thought is not thinking every thought. See, I'm so used to, well, i got to categorize, process, package, wrap it up, put a bow on it. When it's done and it's finished and I can emotionally get over it, then I can tuck it away. And, and I think that that whole thing is skillful. And sometimes I'm sure it is. But there is a skillfulness in just refusing to even think about it to begin with. And he said, you could think about it and do all the stuff that you're going to do. It's going to take you about 45 minutes to an hour. You're going to have to get over all the emotions of that. It's going to be a weight and a burden to your soul and your thought life. Or he said, you can just decide right now that you're not even going to engage that thought. I said, but Lord, I'm not being responsible if I don't engage that thought. He said, no, you're being skillful. And I lay there and I thought, I'm going to try this because that's not common for me, Taylor. I think about everything 1,700 times. And then I reverse the order and think about another 70. And then I flip it and do it another. And then I invert it and do another. My mind is always moving. Ask Pastor Happy. He knows. He travels with me. And I'm always thinking a year in advance. Right, Pastor Happy? Right. <laughs> I'm always ahead. I'm always the Anyway, and so I'm not used to that. And I lay there and I thought, Lord, are you serious? You really don't want me to think this? And he said, you, want, you asked me to teach you how to be skillful in your thought life. You can't think about all the attacks all the time. You can't process the feelings all the time, son, because it will weigh you down like ankle weights around your ankle. He said, just try it. And I lay there in bed and I said, in the name of Jesus, I talked to myself. I said, in the name of Jesus, Craig, I do not permit you to think those thoughts at all. I reject them. I'm not processing them. I'm not trying to get over them. I'm not trying to... Package it up so I can put it outside my, my thought life. I will not think of them at all. That attack, I will not think about it. And then I went and I said, now you go to sleep. Because it was nap time. It's 3.30, it's nap time. <laughs> till 4.30. And so, and I just, I fell off to sleep and I woke up. I felt so refreshed. And, and, and what I could have done is spend 45 minutes trying to process the emotions of that pain. And been burdened and waited. And I thought, my God, that's, this, is a, this is a revelation to me. I don't have to think about everything that my mind tells me I have to think about. I don't have to think about things because people tell me I have to think about them. I don't have to think about things because the devil tells me I have to think about them. I don't have to think about things that Craig's unrenewed mind tells him that he has to think about. Because my unrenewed mind wants to think about every process. Because that's my personality. Some people, you just like, you don't think about anything. Well, I, don't know. I don't know, whatever, like, let's just have a drink and just relax. I mean, see, if you're like that, God bless you because you don't think about much to begin with. But I am 
a totally different animal. I think about everything too much. Maybe with you, you need to think a bit more. I don't know. But for me, I need to stop thinking. And the Lord knows me and he knows you and he'll help you like he helped me. Because he knows your makeup and you're perfect. He made you that way. But he'll tweak the rough edges because all of us have rough edges. Don't change the core of who you are, but get the rough edges out. Let him smooth you. With the Holy Ghost's help, will smooth you. But, but I just said, Lord, you know. And he said, don't think about it. Yeah. Craig is telling Craig. Yeah. The unrenewed Craig is telling your spirit. Yeah. Think about this. Yeah. Think about this. Speak to your unrenewed mind and say, no. I tried it. Deanne worked like a charm. Wow. We don't believe in charms, but I'm just saying that's an expression. <laughs> worked like magic. And Deanne, we don't believe in magic either. But it worked like magic. And I woke up and I thought, my God, my God, my God, what a revelation. I don't have to think about everything I tell myself I have to think about. Yeah. I know that sounds weird, Taylor, but it's true. I know I don't have to think what the devil says, although sometimes we do. I know we don't have to think about what people tell us, although sometimes we do. But we're the biggest culprit. Yeah. You will always think about what yourself tells you to think about because it's yourself. And how could you yourself be against you? But your unrenewed mind is enmity, the Bible says, with your spirit. That means your unrenewed thinking is the enemy of your spirit. And he wants you to focus on things that the Holy Ghost doesn't. And you've got to get skillful with your thinking and with the word. And say, I will not think about that. I'm not thinking about that. No, I'm not. No. But the the, the devil says, well, you're being being irresponsible. No. You're being irresponsible. No. When Pastor Nancy needed all that money, she didn't have the money. And the Lord said, go do your nails. The devil says, you're being irresponsible. You've got to figure out this problem. No. I can't figure it out anyway, so God's going to have to do a miracle. I'm going to go do my nails. Charles Capps would go fishing. I don't know how to fix it. I was go fishing. Dr. Dufresne would just go and drive, go driving in the woods in his truck and his Jeep. No, I'm just drawing. Because just because my mind tells me I have to figure it out doesn't mean I have to figure it out. You see, your skill is against yourself. The devil's defeated. He'll try, but we have a lot of teaching on how to deal with him. We have less teaching on how to deal with people, but just love on them, but don't listen to everybody. But yourself is your worst enemy because yourself will turn on yourself. Your unrenewed mind will try to hurt you. So get skillful in your thoughts with the word. Get skillful with being righteous and with faith. Then focus on your prayer. Because then you'll get into those realms and you'll just, you'll walk through fire and come out untouched. Hallelujah. God's intention is that the intercessor is joyful, not depressed. <laughs> Thank God, Pastor Nancy, is teaching us some of this stuff. Thank God's God's giving me more revelation. She didn't teach and all that, but I went to the room and I said, Father, you've got to talk to me about this because I can't ignore the, the armor anymore. I've been ignoring it for years. I've never preached once in 15 years. This is the first time in 15 years because I don't know what it means. I understand what it means now. Praise God. And every day I wake up and I say, Lord, I'm starting to live the armor. I'm not putting it on. I'm living it. I want some truth around me today. I got that sword ready to go. Devil, just show up. Just come on. Just come on. Just come on. I got a sword waiting for your neck, buddy. I got a helmet and I've got shoes and I'm going to walk in peace. I'm going to walk in peace on my way to church so that I can receive the preaching more. I'm going to walk in peace everywhere I go so that my mind can receive the Holy Ghost speaking to me more. Peace equals instruction from God. You got to have peace. Father, I could go all night because that anointing is strong tonight. But Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the spirit. I thank you for teaching. Lord, I was going to teach on something totally different. And you said, as I walked out of the room, you said, don't teach on that tonight. Teach on the armor and their thought life. 
So, Father, for whoever that person is or people are, I believe more than one, that needed to hear this tonight. And we did a little few bunny trails and tributaries as the, as the Lord prompted. But, Father, the main thought is that, Father, we are to be strong in the Lord. And there are attacks that will come. But our armor lifestyle is going to protect us. And our focus does not need to be as much on prayer at the beginning. It needs to be on the word and our thoughts. Then we can enter into the prayer realm and we can be successful. So we thank you for it, Father. I'm not saying they shouldn't pray. Lord, you know my heart. I'm I'm talking about divine order. A lot of people get so deep in prayer, but their mind is not renewed and they get beaten up. So, Father, we thank you for the wisdom in Jesus' name today. And I thank you for the anointing that came through my voice and that is in this room and going through that camera. And, Lord, I thank you the anointing destroys yokes tonight and it removes burdens in people's lives. And I thank you for the teaching of the word that accomplishes that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen and amen.